Welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Uh, I am pleased again to have as my guest, Brad Sorensen. Uh, Brad is a chartered financial analyst, a CFA. Uh, I'm proud to say that I think the CFA is the most uh, prestigious designation in the financial services industry. Uh, Brad is one of several consultants within Cornerstone Portfolio Research that is a company that we hired as our firm to provide us with assistance and guidance to economic conditions, where's the economy going, so that we can utilize this information for working with our clients' portfolios and their investments. So uh, Brad, thank you again for joining us. Uh, welcome oh, again. Glad to be here. So um, in the first uh, episode that we had done, uh, we talked about the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Uh, that was the inflation um, and what the Fed is doing to cut rates, or I'm sorry, raise rates to combat inflation. And then the second episode that we did, uh, we talked about um, uh, the sort of case for and a case against recession. And so now I want to kind of take a look at more, uh, less time sensitive, uh, just sort of a global overview of the markets and, and sort of subsectors, if you will, if that's the right word, of the markets. So the first slide that you produced for me actually surprised me, Brad. Now, mind you, this goes back to what? end of April of last year. Basically, this is a one-year chart of the S&P 500. I found it surprising when I saw this that we're almost where we were a year ago. And I just thought all of last year, I say, I thought it just seemed like all of last year was nothing but a plummet downward, except maybe in the fourth quarter. Right, that was... I think if you would ask most people, they would be surprised by this. That's why I wanted to show it that it speaks to a lot of things that this is why you don't sell at the bottom and buy at the top because markets are volatile. They can correct really quickly. If you, if you had looked at the market year to date last year in about September, you would have thought it was going to be terrible. But then if you and would have gotten out, you would have missed the rally in the fourth quarter that we saw and into the first of this year. So there, it has been remarkably resilient is the word that I would use because in the face of, like we talked about in a previous episode, in the face of unprecedented rate hikes and then the Fed reducing its balance sheet and the federal government reducing stimulus payments all and a war in Ukraine and Numerous other things. Gas prices. The market has managed to hold in there. Um, nobody's going to say this is the greatest year in history, but considering all the headwinds that it's had, that's a pretty good track record that we're still where we were a year ago and we haven't lost ground. Not a lot of ground, but what it fails to show, and this is no knock, it doesn't show January through May. So if we take a look at the slide, we see that there were two market bottoms. The first one was around June 15th. 
okay? And then the second one was, I forget the date, but it was mid to late September, and you can see both of those bottoms. Where you don't see is from January to June, we actually had a 22% decline in the S&P 500, which means that you're not seeing where it started to the tune of 4,700, which I think 4,770 was the peak on January 3rd of 2022. Uh, and then it was a, a borderline straight line down to June. Then it went up again and then back down again a little bit lower. And then basically has sort of been trending upward with you know some dips and stuff like that. But you're right, we, we've been operating in a trading range that I hadn't realized until I saw this. Yeah, and what we saw, that's the, and I guess that gets to the bigger picture that we were talking about. If you look at the, the January through April-ish timeframe last year, I didn't include that because yeah, it doesn't, it's not, it's more than a year, but it does show the decline and that's the market adjusting to the new reality that the Fed is starting to tighten. And most people, most analysts, when you look back, they would say that no, stocks were supercharged back then in the end of 21 into 20 early 22 because of the stimulus the massive amount of government and federal and federal reserve stimulus that was out there it just kept asset prices going up we saw every asset price go up you know we won't get into crypto and nfts and those things but we saw those spike as well but then we started to withdraw some of that liquidity so the market had to adjust to that and that happened in the first part of 22. And then since then, market's been comfortable with the Fed. Yeah, they're going to tighten their fighting inflation, but the economy still remains resilient. So we'll just hang in here for a year. Well, it's, it's interesting, too. Um, and I know we're going to be talking about this later as we uh, wrap things up. But it's very interesting as to how the market responds to the Fed raising interest rates and you know it's not always how it responds immediately to the raising it's what they're forecasting the fed to do because when was their first rate hike was it april of 21 i'm sorry 22 was it april was the first one or was it march i think it was march march so this doesn't show it but the markets had already begun to plummet from january through there because they were projecting that the Fed was going to raise rates. And funny too is that then they project that the Fed may stop raising rates, boom, the market takes off. Or if they project that the market's going to that the Fed is going to cut rates, it it takes off, the market's take off. So it's kind of interesting how that works the relationship between the two, but you saw in the first half of the year, you know, we were heading into just raising rates and then when we hit June or July or the June number, the inflation at 9.1%, you know, not unprecedented, but it certainly was 40 years since we've seen inflation anywhere close to that high. You know, that- yeah, so the Fed had to act. And yeah, like we talked about in the last episode, that that's why the stock market is a leading indicator because they're always trying to game what the Fed is going to do next um, because that impacts the economy so much. Um, And part of it is, and this gets into a kind of esoteric Fed discussion, I'll just briefly touch on it. Part of it is the Fed isn't much fun anymore. 
Um, when I first got into this business, there was something called the Greenspan indicator and <laughs> Fed officials, everybody would look at how thick is Chairman Greenspan's briefcase? Does that mean this? Does that mean that? And that was fun to do. And they didn't have press conferences and they spoke a lot less. But while fun, I think for some financial analysts, they realized that that was causing too much volatility in the market. If we didn't know what the Fed was going to do, if they didn't forecast it, then the more the meetings would be more volatile, the action around that. But the speakers come out, they forecast well in advance. You've looked at the last eight meetings we've had. The bond market has pretty much forecasted exactly what the Fed is going to do three or four weeks ahead of the actual meeting. So their visibility has decreased the volatility surrounding the meeting, certainly. Well, again, this all goes back to um, just increased media coverage, whether it's social yeah. media. And there are, there are a lot of different um, charts that I've seen that since 2008, there's a great deal more volatility in different things. And the, the explanation was there's just so much more media coverage between all the different social media sites uh, you know, that's again, we talked about it earlier in that um, you know, propagating the, the consumer confidence goes down when everybody's saying there's a recession. And, and be, if you don't feel a recession, you're not thinking recession. But if you're hearing it on the radio and the news and, and the newspaper and TV every day and social media, well, that changes things rather dramatically and very quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how things go on the stock market moving forward. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that, but there's always been a question, and I know we talked about this not too long ago, uh, the impact of the FANG stocks, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, but I wanna compare here the difference between value and growth. And so, mm -hmm. as you can see by this chart, this is actually the relationship between value and growth for valuations Okay, now define a value versus a growth. Well, a value stock is what I refer to as your big behemoths, your bank stocks, your, your utilities, your, um, your, your Procter & Gamble's. They're, you're not gonna stop brushing your teeth. Uh, you know, just different uh, bellwether staple companies that spit out large dividends. Those are the companies that have a propensity to not be as volatile, whereas growth, on the other hand, are typically the companies that do not provide a dividend, okay, and are expected to grow faster than the market, and therefore, I always refer to it from the boxing, uh, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And technology, biotechnology, are the perfect examples of growth companies. So back to the slide again, this shows trends of when value has not so much outperformed, but the valuation. So right here, Brad, talk to me about, talk to the viewers about this slide. Well, it shows, like you see, the growth has led the market. And we saw that really in the last, gosh, um, toward the end of last year, we started to see value outperform. There was concerns about recession, um, but in, in the end of last year and early this year, people started to sell some of those growth names. Um, a lot of that was for tax reasons, but then we saw growth reassert 
its dominance in the middle of January and really continue into this point in the year, uh, largely led by those fame games that you mentioned, and those are all all in the growth category. So if you're not in those, the value names, even though they're big names, they have lagged, and if you're, it, that's why value has lagged because Fang has no part of value. Well, yes, okay, and Fang is the acronym that they've used for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, uh, Netflix, although now they're calling NVIDIA, okay, then Google, oh no wait, Fang, what's the G? No, it's Google, oh. but yeah, Fang's kind of messed up now because right, added Microsoft Meta and Google is Alphabet, but they still call it Fang. Right, and so just kind of basically the gist of it is you have six companies out there that represent such a high percentage of the markets. For instance, the FANG stocks that we reference and adding Microsoft, which is also a big boy, those FANG stocks represent about 45% of the NASDAQ and 24, 25%, and I'm sure what the latest number is, of the S&P 500, which means that when you get a big rally in those six stocks, which they seem to all go together, I say seems to, then all of a sudden the NASDAQ's gonna do real well and the S&P's gonna do real well, but then when they pull back, then the NASDAQ is gonna get crushed, which it did last year. I mean, you compare right. value versus growth. Not that the NASDAQ is certainly a great indicator of growth. The Dow is not necessarily a great indicator of value, but it, it is the big bellwether companies has some growth in it. But last year, what was, I believe the NASDAQ was down something to the tune of 35%, but the Dow was down only seven. So that's a big difference. Yeah, and that's what you'll see as, you know, that's to be expected. The growth names are more volatile, as you mentioned. And yeah, just the, and now there's just such this concentration in these big names that they can move the market. You saw it even recently, um, when Apple announced their earnings and they beat the market, the whole market jumped on that day. Well, Apple and Microsoft make up 56% of the tech sector within wow. the S&P 500. So anytime either of those companies have an announcement, it's just by definition going to move the market because there's such a big part of it now. And just on the downside, that can happen if we get a disappointment from one of those companies. Sure. That's where you have to stay diversified. And even though you investors want to be part of those fame names, because yeah, you can see the growth, but we saw last year that when they go out of favor, boy, they can really hurt, oh, yeah. especially those growth indexes like the NASDAQ. Yeah, live by the sword, die by the sword, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing of importance that they referenced um, about Apple is Apple is a representative, and as you pointed out, of the technology sector. However, it is also a representative of the consumer. Because you know all those people who are Apple people, you know, they love their iPhone, their iPad, and their watch, and all that fun stuff. It's a gauge. If Apple's doing well, it's a gauge of the consumer as well as a gauge of the technology sector. So, you know, that's why, and not to mention, it is the largest company on, uh, is it the largest in the world? Yeah. 
It is the largest in the world, certainly the largest in the U.S., and I wasn't sure if it was the largest in the world. So, uh, you know, any moves on any of those particular companies are going to have an impact. Now, on that, uh, we've also seen, just as we saw a divergence last year where the NASDAQ got cremated and the Dow did not, we're seeing the exact opposite year to date. And to your point, it's the FANG stocks again. Yeah, they've made up a lot of the, the gains. And as you mentioned, we talk about tech, but these companies are so big that they really encompass a lot of different sectors. Even Google, for example, most people would think that is a tech company, but they most of their revenue comes from advertising on the search engines that they have. So that advertisers, they base on the consumer eyeballs. So they're also a consumer company to some extent. Right. Um, but yeah, the fang names, people have bought back into those, the growth. And what we're starting to see is, and you can see this, and it'll play out over time, but these growth names need to come up. It's the law of large numbers. They can only grow so much. You know, Facebook can only have so many users. There are only so many people on planet Earth that can use Facebook. There are so many advertisers that can advertise on Google. So they always need the next thing. We talked about the big thing about a year ago was the metaverse. And Facebook changed their name to Meta because of that. Um, that's kind of gone by the wayside for now, at least. But and we're not going to get into a big discussion about this because it gets far beyond my pay grade. But artificial intelligence is the next great thing. And you've seen these stocks move on artificial intelligence hopes and the growth hopes that the, that will um, generate the next big leg of growth for a lot of the fang names between search and uh, scientific inquiries and more technological advancements. So getting all of those, that's the next, supposedly the next growth name. And we've seen some of these names move on that. Hope that that will continue the growth rates of these companies. Well, and there's been a lot of, uh, while AI, artificial intelligence is, you know, really, really uh, innovative, there's also a lot of concerns by many as to the danger that could have to us, and I guess you know, we talked about it the last time we had a meeting where it's like, you know, it reminds you of the movie Matrix. You know, if all of a sudden the computer becomes smarter than the individual, that could create a little bit of a problem. So anyway, Brad, we're up against break. Uh, what we're gonna do is uh, we'll be back in a few moments. We're gonna pick up and talk again about valuations, uh, but more from a price to earnings valuation. So stay tuned, we'll be back with you in just a few moments. Do you keep up regularly with your investments? Where exactly are your hard-earned dollars going? Are you financially prepared for an emergency? I'm Mike Menninger, founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. We believe that education and knowledge are powerful, and we want our clients to understand why we are making the recommendations that we make. It's your money, and you deserve to know where it's going, because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. So call us today to dis... Welcome back to Financial Plan and Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner. And I am still here with Brad Sorensen, uh, CFA, and we're continuing to talk about kind of the current eh, sectors, if that's the right word, of the economy and the markets. And so on the second part of this show today, 
we're going to talk about PE ratios and where each of the different um, groups are relative to their historic averages. So if we could pop this slide up, this is picture is worth a thousand words. So if you take a look at this slide, what it does is it shows from top to bottom large companies, mid-sized companies, and small size companies. And then from left to right is value and growth. So if you take you know, your, your FANG stock that we referred, would all be large cap growth stocks, whereas some of your bellwether, big fat behemoths that spit out a bunch of dividends might be your large cap value. And just to give you an idea, then the small caps are small companies. And so what this slide shows is look at how relative to history, how expensive the growth side is. The growth side of the equation is not only relatively more expensive than value, which it always is, but it's comparing to growth. And basically what it's saying is that it's almost 30% overvalued compared to the history. Now, Brad, talk to me more about PE ratios because this is what it is. It's price of the stock divided by its earnings. And is this forward looking or is this backwards looking? I think it's forward, isn't it? Yeah, this is forward looking. And I do want to point out that this is based on its historical average of each category. So you'll see like a PE of the S&P 500, for example, but then each of these categories has the historical PE averages. So it's based on that. So that's why you see value is a little overvalued compared to the value average. Right. Correct. Correct. Well, it's actually not even that much overvalued, only on the large cap side. Yeah, the but, large. But what I'm also noticing here, it's also important to note, this is what they're projecting for the next year. A lot of times, PE ratios are based upon what's the value of the stock compared to the last 12 months. Okay, so this factors in kind of a leading indicator where they expect them to go. And it's a lot more accurate from truly the price of the stock because the price of the stock should be forward looking. And so I've seen these numbers all be well below 100%, which means that they're undervalued relative to history. And so this is, again, concerning. I don't, you know, it's, it's not as if they couldn't or shouldn't be this high, but, you know, they always say everything reverts back to the mean, right? Everything reverts back to the average. Yeah, so we can go into a lot on this PE issue. Um, so in PEs, so like the large growth, we'll just use that for example, it looks overvalued compared to history, but that can correct in two ways because there are two, as Mike mentioned, there's two components of PE. Even though everybody says PE, it's two things, price and earnings. So it's price over earnings. So when you have a fraction, to get it lower, the price can either go lower, the numerator, or the E, the denominator, can go higher. So if we had greater earnings, this valuation would correct with if the price didn't go up quite as much as the earnings did. So that could um, correct that as well. On the other side, it could be even more overvalued if you think the economy slowing, earnings estimates are going to decline, then and the stock doesn't go down, then there could be even more overvaluation compared to history. 
Now this, this is the one thing I want to tell investors that PE is used for, as you said, it's, we tend to believe things and we've seen, seen through history, things moved back to the average, but this isn't a great timing. PE is never a great timing. It's not like you can say, oh, when it gets to 130%, it's way overvalued, you short it and we're gonna make money on that. Well, it can stay overvalued for a while. Um, that's why we look at the long term when we talk about investing over the long term growth will probably correct back to the mean of 100% through either earnings growth or price declines or some combination of the both of both but that doesn't mean it's going to happen in the next month or two. Yep. Well, anyway, um, Brad, believe it or not, we're already uh, concluded with this episode. So uh, thank you again for joining and all of your participation. And uh, thank you everyone for joining us for the show. Uh, we will be having another episode with Brad as my guest, at which point we're gonna be talking a little bit more about the dollar and its relationship to international investments and then kind of tie everything in to where sort of we think things are going tie and everything in. So uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this week's um, presentation and thank you for joining. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Have a wonderful week.